Amen, my brothers and sisters. Today, our, our text we'll be we'll be looking um, in Second Corinthians chapter four, uh, verse three down to to nine. And it's it's interesting. Me and Pastor Brian was having a conversation yesterday, and I was saying like. My, my, my talks lately have been a part two of Pastor Brian's previous sermon. And so um, I remember when I spoke about the kingdom of God the previous week, he spoke on the kingdom of God. And then last week he was speaking about uh, blind Bartimaeus um, and how that's who we are as unbelievers and, and looking at the sovereignty of God. And so today we're going to be looking at the sovereignty of God and the blindness of our heart. And so I guess God really wants us to know about his sovereignty, I guess you would say, um, because it's, it's a part two almost of Pastor Brian's message last week and many of the scriptures that he spoke of, um, I'll probably bring out as well. So um, I pray that God just touches your heart. Um, today, I really wanted to encourage us to, to treasure our salvation, to, to treasure it. That it is a valuable thing to you, that your salvation in Christ, that it is something you treasure. I know there are, there's a lot of things we can pray about. I know there's a lot of things going on in our life that we're praying and we want God to bring it to pass. But what I'm saying is put those aside for a second and let's just focus on what Christ has already done. Let's just focus on our salvation. Let's just focus on us being regenerated and new. Let's just focus on those things for a minute. I know there's, there's cares that we have in this life, but for this talk, let's focus and see the glory and the treasure that we have right now. And so that's what I hope to encourage you on as we look at these scriptures on, on God's sovereignty and, and to really see our salvation. So we can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to start at verse 3 and go down to, to 9. And I have the NASB, so I don't know which version you may have. It may read a little different, but we should all get to the same point. And it reads in minds, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Verse 7. But we have this treasure, here we go, our treasure. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, our, our clay pots, if you will, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Beautiful words. Beautiful, spirit-inspired words. But let's, let's really dig into this, this text. So we see it in, in verse 3, Paul is describing the, the, the state of the unregenerate. He is describing, in verse 3 and 4, he is describing the state of the unbeliever. 
And in his description of the unbeliever, he shows that they cannot even see the glory of Jesus. That their, that their minds have been blinded, that they can't even see the, the glory of the gospel. They can't see it. And he's not talking about their natural eyes, but he's talking about the eye of their heart or the, the eye of their mind. And as you will see, compare with verse 6, the eyes of the mind and the eyes of the heart are used interchangeably, often throughout Scripture. So when you see the mind and the heart, you're oftentimes speaking of the, the same thing. But Paul is showing that because the enemy, which is called the God of this world, has blinded the eyes of their mind, when Paul preaches the glory of Christ, guess what? They don't even see it. When we go out and we share the gospel with people in the streets, guess what? If this veil is remaining, if their eyes have been blinded, guess what? They will not see the glory of Christ. I don't care what method you use. I don't care how passionately you preach it. If, if God has not moved, if this veil is still remains, if their eyes are still blinded, guess what? They will not see Jesus. They will not see the glory of the gospel. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 1.8, Paul says that they will basically likely consider it foolishness. They will consider the message of the cross foolishness. They won't get it because they can't see the, the glory of the gospel. And I, and I remember one time um, I was trying to share the gospel with a neighbor of mine. And so I, so I went to them and I, and I began to try to share with them and they said, I can't believe it, meaning that they won't believe it. Remember they said, I, I just don't have the faith to believe that message. And so what I said, the message of the cross was foolishness to her. This talk of, of Jesus and how a, a man dying on a cross and resurrecting is, is somehow resulting in us having life, that was foolishness to her. She said, I can't believe it. I, I mean, I, I, I can't have the, the faith in what you're saying. The message the glory of God, which Paul is speaking about, guess what? It was foolishness to them. It was foolishness. But to us who are being saved, guess what? The cross, it is the power of God. And that is something you can treasure, that you can see the glory of Jesus, that you can praise and worship, that when you read your scriptures, something that begins to happen in your life and you find joy in his words, see, that is a treasure, that is a blessing that we don't want to take lightly. You treasure that. You treasure this, this gospel that we have. We do not take it lightly. And one of the things that we must do is that we must guard against looking down on the unbeliever, the unregenerate. Because oftentimes that we've been saved, we, God has removed the veil, the, the blindness has been removed, and we see Jesus, and then we, we see that unbeliever out there, and we can begin to snub our nose, if you will. We can begin to, begin to look down. But here's the secret I want to I expose to you, is that that unbeliever, that unregenerated person that we may look down upon, is just a picture of yourselves unsaved or unregenerate. That's what they are. They're a picture of you without the gospel. That's all they are. 
So guess what? When, when that person you see out in the streets, when you see that, that lady, that unregenerated lady talking crazy to her husband, guess what, ladies? That would be you too if you didn't have this gospel in your life, if, you, if those blinders were still on you. That, that man that treats his wife and, and, and curses at her and talks down to her, guess what? If those blinders weren't removed from your soul, if, if you couldn't see the light of the gospel, guess what? You would be doing it too. All of those, those things that we, we see in the world, how, how people treat one another, if, if the gospel has not been shown in your heart, you will be doing the same thing of those unregenerated and unbeliever. We're no different. It is only by God's grace that we have this, this salvation because without it, we will be doing the same thing that the people in the world are doing. So we can't go think we're just so great it's just by God's grace that those blinders that Paul is talking about it's on the, the mind of the unbeliever that they're there it's just God's grace so how do I know this I know this because guess what in the scriptures that we just read here in verse 4 Satan is called the God of this world Paul calls him the God of this world and see, when you're the God of something, I mean, you have some influence. You have some, some, some power. And we see it in here. He, he has blinded the minds of the unbeliever. And when you go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26, we see that we were all at one point held captive by Satan to do his will. So you have Satan being called the, the God of this world. And in 2 Timothy 2, 26, the scripture says that some are, are held captive by Satan to, to do his will, meaning that you and your unregenerated Satan, you weren't even in control. That was the enemy. That was the deadness of our sin. So we could have done some of those same things that we see the unregenerated doing. And I want to show you something in the text. Go with me to 1 John 5, 19. I really want us to see the, the blindness and so we can really treasure our salvation because we were there. 1 John 5, 19. Go, go there, please. We all here? 1 John 5, 19. Look what the scripture, the spirit speaks and says here. He says, we know that we are of God. And look, and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know that we're of God, but outside of God, the whole world lies in the control of the enemy. The wicked one in wickedness. That is power. That is outside of God removing the blinders that is on the unregenerate, the unbeliever. We're in the control of the enemy. So this means that all of the atrocities that are committed by the people of the world, when we watch those news stories at 10 o'clock and we see that that mother does that thing to her child or that father does that thing to his, his child and we say, how could a parent do this or how could a person do this? Guess what? We could be doing the same thing. If it wasn't for God's grace, regenerating our heart, because we were blinded. We were in this bad state that Paul is talking about here. We cannot see the light of the gospel. We were just like those people that we hear and read about. If it wasn't for God's sovereign restraint, 
we would have done some of those same things that we hear about on the people on the news, that we hear about with, with, with ISIS, that we hear about people doing mass shootings. Don't think that you're just so great. If we were in the control of the evil one, we were liable to do almost anything. So we cannot look down on the believer. We must understand that we were these people. If it wasn't for God's grace, we would be these people. We would act and do certain things. And I think about my pastor um, in, my, in my former church. He always talked about in his old life, in his past, in his unregenerated state, when he was blind to the gospel, that many times he thought of committing murder on his enemies and actually tried to do it on many occasions. He tried to run a guy over because they had a beef. They had beef. And one time he, he talks about how he, he went to a bar with his gun looking for the guy, the pastor of the church, before he was regenerate. He thought those things. He wanted to harm people. And he tried to, but it was God's sovereign restraint that allowed it not to come to pass. So we must understand these people that Paul is talking about in verse 3 or 4. We could have been these people. It's not that we're just so great. It's just that God is so great. That God is so good. And so we must treasure our salvation and so Paul in this scripture, he is, he is aware of God's grace upon his own life. And so he does not look down upon the unbeliever. And I remember as Pastor Brian was quoting Romans chapter 10, verse 1, where Paul says that his heart's desire and his prayer to God for his brethren Israel was for their salvation. He longed to see his brethren saved, those who had these, these blinders upon their eyes. He, he wanted them to know this God, and that was his heart's desire. He wasn't looking down upon them. He was praying for them. He was praying that they would see the light of the gospel. He was praying that they would fall in love with Jesus. And he said he, he did what he did in hoping that his brethren would emulate his ways. He wanted them to walk in light. Those who didn't know this, this God. So in verse 3 and 4, we must not look down at the unbeliever. Paul didn't. Paul had a desire to see them, them saved. And we're going to come back and look more at the glory of, of Christ. But now I just want us to move down to verse 4 as we keep going down. And so in, in verse 5, I'm sorry I said verse 4, but in verse 5, Paul says something. He says, for we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves, your bondservants for Jesus' sake. So Paul, knowing that Jesus is the only way that this veil will be removed, said that he preaches Christ as Lord. As Lord. That is a huge statement. That is not just a light statement to say that we preach Christ Jesus as Lord. That is a huge statement. See, if we want to see the conversion of the lost, if we want to see that lost soul come to Christ, guess what? It is going to have to be a true and accurate gospel, not a prosperity gospel where wealth, health is the draw, not a man-centered gospel where achieving your dreams is the draw, but a Christ-centered gospel where Jesus Christ is the hero, where he is the main attraction. That is the only way. Paul says, I preach Jesus Christ as Lord. Christ is the main attraction. 
So he's not preaching Jesus Christ as a prophet, as only a prophet, as the Muslims believe. He's not preaching Jesus Christ as a good moral leader, as some of the atheist New Agers believe, but he is preaching Jesus Christ as Lord. That is a big statement, especially to many of the Jews of Paul's day. Because to say Jesus Christ is Lord with a capital L is to say that Jesus Christ is divine. It's more than that he's just master, but to say that he is Lord is to say that he is divine and that he is not someone that you should just listen to, but someone you should place your faith in when you call him Lord. So that, that is a bigger statement when he says that we preach Jesus Christ as Lord, as master and as divine, as God. That's what that means to say we are preaching Jesus Christ as Lord. And let me make this a little bit clearer for you. Um, because of Exodus 27, it's just a little, a little history on this. Because of Exodus um, chapter 20, verse 7, which talks about not taking the name of the Lord's name in vain, many of the Jewish people, when they would come together in the synagogue and they, when they would read the Old Testament scripture and when they came across God's name, which is pronounced Yahweh, because they didn't want to violate Exodus 27 by not taking the, God, the name of the Lord in vain, when they came across Yahweh, they would say Adonai, Adonai, which is Hebrew for Lord or Master. So because they didn't want to take God's name wrong and, and abuse it, they wouldn't say Yahweh. They would just say Adonai, which is Hebrew for Lord or Master. And so when they had translated the Old Testament into Greek, which is the Septuagint, those same translators translated Adonai to this Greek word, which is Kyrios, which means Lord. So when Paul says that Jesus Christ is Lord or Kyrios, he's talking about his divinity him being a supreme ruler and master over the universe. That's why that's such a big statement when Paul says, I am going around preaching Jesus Christ as Lord. Not just a special good guy, but he's divine. He's someone special. And if you go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 36, when, when, when Peter receives the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and he stands up and tells him that you who crucified Jesus, guess what? God has made him Lord and Messiah. And that's why this was such a big statement and an offensive statement to many Jews because you are saying that Jesus Christ is divine. When Paul says that we preach Jesus Christ as Lord in verse 5. So after describing the Jesus that he preaches, as we keep going down in the scriptures, in verse 6, Paul is now going to show us how he has come to know this Jesus as Karios, our Lord. In verse 6, he's going to show us how he has come to, to know that this Jesus is Karios, our, our Lord. And he comes to know this, guess what, by special revelation. Not general revelation like the stars in the sky proclaim the glory of God, but special revelation. Just like when, when, when Peter was with Jesus and, and he said, who do you people say that I am? And then Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus said, you know what, man, flesh and blood, didn't, it didn't give you that. Man didn't give you that, Peter. That, that was just from my father. That was special revelation. 
And so that is how Paul came to, to know about this, this God, this Jesus being Lord and Master. It came through, through special revelation. And if you want to do some more study on this on your own time, I would encourage you to read Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 13, and you'll really see it there where, where, where Lord is speaking to Jesus as deity. So I would encourage you um, on your own time, go and read Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 13, and you'll really see that when we say that Jesus Christ is Lord, that's not just saying he's just master, but it's speaking to us divinity. And so I would encourage you to read that. So let's, let's move down to 6. Where Paul shows us how he gets this, this, this understanding, this, this special revelation. In verse 6 he says, For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So in verse 6, Paul is now likening this special revelation that he has to the creation of light in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, God says this, let there what? Be light. And what God sovereignly decreed, let there be light. Guess what? Light sprang forth. Light just came. Why? Because God decreed it. Light didn't say, and say, hmm, should I come or should I go? No, light just came forward because God had commanded it. So, so light came forth and light brightened the universe. And this is the same thing that has taken place in the heart of the believer. God has sovereignly decreed that the light of the gospel will shine in our hearts. And so now our stony hearts have been made flesh and we can receive and see the light of Jesus. That is what Paul is saying here, that this light was the, it was God's sovereignty. It was God's moving. It was God's choosing upon my heart. He shined his light down, and that is why I could see the light of God. That is why I can see Jesus. Those, that veil has been removed. Those things are not no longer in my, my way, but it's because God has sovereignly decreed it that I now can see the light of Jesus, that I now can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Just like light in the beginning of creation when God sovereignly decreed it. God sovereignly decrees, and we can now see who Jesus is. So my brothers and sisters, again, your treasure, the only reason that you can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus because God has sovereignly allowed it just like he did in the beginning of creation when he told the, the light to, to spring forth. And we thank God. You thank God that you can see. You thank God that you're not who you used to be. You thank God that you're no longer in the dust, that you're not committing those sins, that you're no longer a slave to sin. You thank God for that. That is a treasure. We don't take that lightly. That is a treasure. That is the work of God. We know where we used to be. We know how we used to think. But then God came in with his sovereign light, shining in our dark hearts, and we begin to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus because God sovereignly decreed it and allowed it to happen. So we don't take our salvation lightly. We don't look at it and, and just say, oh, it's a small matter. It is a big matter. And I'm going to give you an example of this in the scripture. 
Pastor Brian, you brought this out, but I want to go in and look at the scripture in depth. Uh, Acts chapter 16. You know where I'm going with Lydia. Acts chapter 16. We're going to see this thing actually work out in, in, in reality here in the scriptures. Acts chapter 16, verse 14. Let's read this text. It says, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. So Paul is out there preaching the gospel by the river, by the water, and she is listening to the gospel being preached. Paul is, he's following the obedience of Jesus. He is doing the Matthew 28, 19. Paul is going to you therefore, and he is preaching the gospel. And as he's preaching the gospel, Lydia is sitting right there listening to this gospel, the good news. And look what it says here. It says, and the Lord, what happens here? Opens her heart to respond to the things spoken of by Paul. Do we see that? Who did, who, who opened the heart? It was the Lord. It wasn't Lydia. Lydia's blind and dead. Lydia isn't capable of opening up in her, her, her own heart. See, we can change our clothing. We can, if you, I don't have hair, but women, if you have, if you have hair, guess what? You can change your hair. Women, you can change the color of your, of your, of your nails. You can change your shoes, but guess what? You can't change your heart. That is something you can't do. That's only the sovereign work of God. You cannot change your heart. Only God could do that. And so this is what's happening. God, he is opening up the heart of Lydia so guess what? The same process that happened in Paul's life, the same process that happened in my life when I heard the gospel, the same process that happened in Martin Luther's life, the same process that happened in Charles Spurgeon's life, the same process that happened in Oleg's life, the same process that happened in Pastor Brian's life, the same process that happened in Anthony's life. Guess what? When they heard the gospel, God opened the heart and sent forth his light so that they could respond to this message and, and see the glory of God. It is the same message that is happening in all of the great saints of old. It is God's sovereign work in our heart showing us who Jesus is and we are responding. He has drawn us to himself by his grace and we are going and falling so in love with him and serving him. It is by God's work. That is the treasure that is the, the treasure that, that God has done this thing in the heart of people, in the heart of his saints, that he has drawn us to himself by his sovereign will and sovereign decree. Same thing with Paul on the way to Damascus. Many of my, the Bible scholars, you know that when Paul was on his way to Damascus, his heart was blinded. He was so caught up in the law. He was persecuting Christians left and right. And what happens on the road to Damascus? What does God send forth? He sends forth his light. Sends forth his light. And guess what? The reverse happens with Paul. He loses his physical sight, but then the eye of his heart opens up. Opens up. God sends forth that light down. Blinded in the physical eyes, but yet his heart opens up so that he can receive the, the message of Christ. And guess what? When Paul received this message, Get back to our main text, I'm sorry. When Paul received this message in, in 2 Corinthians, he didn't receive this message, this, this, this good news, and just say to himself. He didn't say, oh, I got the Holy Spirit now. I'm filled with God. I'm going to go build me a mega tent-making business. 
And some of you will catch that later when I say what I, what I mean. Because remember, Paul was a tent maker, right? So he didn't say, oh, I'm saved now. I have the Holy Spirit. Now I can just go be prosperous and make all these great tents. And no, that's not what he did. That would be a man-centered gospel. That's what a man-centered gospel is. When you say, come to Jesus, and because you come to Jesus, now you can get all these great things. No, that's, that's not what happened with Paul. That's a man-centered gospel. When, when Paul got this light, he went and gave light away. And that is what we, we will see in verse 7 as we go back to our main text. So get back to our, our main text. In, in verse 7, Paul receives this light, and this light of the gospel, it becomes a treasure for him in verse 7. The gospel and this ministry that God has given him, it becomes a treasure for Paul in verse 7. So we must understand that our salvation is not something light. It is, it is a big deal. It, is, it should be a, a treasure. So my brothers and sisters, I must ask you the question, is Jesus Christ your treasure? Is he your treasure? Is he the most valuable thing to you, your treasure? Because where, where a man's treasure is, that's where his heart is. So, or a person, I should say a man, a man or a woman. Um, is he your, your, your treasure? And I remember a few years ago, I was listening to John Piper, Love Piper, and um, he was speaking about evangelism. And he was talking about how oftentimes when we go out and evangelize, we ask people, do you know the Lord? And he says, a better question to ask is, do you know Jesus as your treasure? That is a better question. I, because most people say, yeah, I know the Lord. Yeah, maybe because I was baptized when I was three or, or something like that. Uh, yeah, I know the Lord. But the better question is, do you know Jesus Christ as your treasure? Do you know him as the most valuable thing in your life? That's the question to ask. Do we know him as our treasure? And so Paul says in verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, clay pots, which is human. We're, we're earthen vessels. And I, I like to use this imagery. Imagine if you had a, a, just a clay pot. And, and you fill that, that clay pot just with, with diamonds. That pot, is, the, the thing that's inside the pot is what gives it its value. It's not the pot. The pot is just a, just a, a weak old little thing that, you, you know, my, my daughter has a little clay-making thing that she makes, and she, she shapes it. I'm, and it's beautiful, baby. But uh, it's, it's just a little pot, right? It's not strong. It's not sturdy, really. It's a little pot. And Paul is saying that God has given us this treasure in a, in a little clay pot, in earthen vessels. In our little weak, uh, uh, feeble human bowers, we, we have this powerful gospel inside of us. This, this great message that has, has changed cities and nations. The whole Roman Empire was changed by the gospel. Paul was accused of turning the, the whole world upside down because of the gospel. So we have this, this great message in these, in these little clay pots. And think about this. God could have used angels to carry his message. Because after all, angels are more powerful and more mightier than us. But no, he chose these weak little humans who complain, who get headaches, who get owies, who, 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 who bleed, 
These weak little, these humans, he has entrusted this, this great treasure, Paul says to us, in earthen vessels. But Paul shows us in verse 7 that there is an underlying purpose in it all. And the underlying purpose of why he has entrusted this, this, this treasure to us, us humans, these earthen vessels, guess what? It's for his own glory. Because God's glory is the underlying thing in everything he does, even creation. That's why it says that even creation shows his glory. Our creation, we were made to glorify God. So everything God does, his underlying purpose behind it all is his glory. And so Paul shows us that he's given us these, this, this treasure and these earthen vessels so that we will know that the power belongs to God and not from ourselves. I remember as we were going out yesterday and I'm, I'm driving to where we're going to meet and evangelize. I'm just like, God, I'm just a clay pot. I'm, I can't change anybody. I don't have no powers within me. It's only your word. I'm just trusting in you. I have not, I'm just a clay pot. I can't do much. It, 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 it is only, it's only God. It, it is his work. So he, he has entrusted us with this treasure so that we will see that the power is of God and not ourselves. And, and I love the, the so that's of Scripture. If you, believers, you need to know the so that's, the so that's of Scripture. We, we, we need to get familiar with the, with the so that's of Scripture. I'm going to give you another example of the, the so that's. Um, in 2 Corinthians 1.9, Paul is talking about this, this ordeal that he deals with that him and all the believers are in and, um, and how they are at the point of death. They, they, they feel like they're about to die. And then Paul says that we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that in order to, that we would learn basically look, to trust in God and not ourselves. That God has allowed us to get into this situation so that we will see that the power is of God and not ourselves. And so that is the, the beauty of the, the so that's or you can go to 2 Corinthians 12 when Paul says he received the thorn in his side. Remember, God gives Paul a, a great revelation. And then he says that God has given me this, this thorn in my side, a messenger of Satan. Guess what? He's been giving it to him so that Paul doesn't be get what? Puffed up and prideful. It was so that. So we must know the, the, the so that's of Scripture. So it means that when we go through trials in this life, when we are facing troubles, it's not that it's happening to us, but it's happening for us. That's what the so that's give us the confidence in. That it is God's work that we are going through this so that we will get stronger, so that we will learn to trust in God more, so that God will get the glory. It's the so that's of Scripture. You want to know these. Because that is the underlying purpose. Well, many of the things we, we go through is that God has taken us somewhere else. So my trial that I'm going to today is making me stronger so that when I'm over here, I can minister and do this or do touch and such. The so that's of Scripture. So Paul says that we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Then it gives us the beauty of what the, the treasure of the gospel begins to do for him. In verse 8, he says this, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Why does he say that we're afflicted, but we're not crushed? 
Only the gospel can give you a mindset to say this. Look, I want you to compare verse 8. Look at verse 8 in chapter 4. And look at verse 17. And let's see what we see here. Verse 8, Paul says this. We are afflicted in every way. But guess what? We're not crushed. And then look at what verse 17 says. For momentary light afflictions is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. So Paul, even though he's afflicted, even though he is in prison, even though he has sleepless nights, even though he is hungered, even though he is often naked, even though he is often in danger, because he has a gospel perspective, because Jesus Christ is his treasure, even when he's afflicted, he can say that I'm not crushed because the gospel gives him hope. It gives him hope that even though he's afflicted, I know that there's an eternal weight of glory waiting for me here. Even though I'm going through these trials over here, because I have a gospel-centered perspective and I have this treasure in me, I know that the gospel assures me eternal salvation that nobody can take away. So that is why this is so beautiful. He has a gospel-centered preservation, a gospel-centered way of life. That when he's afflicted, because he's, his hope is in the gospel, that he's not crushed, that he's not broken. That's why he can say in the next verse, I'm perplexed, guess what? But I'm not despairing because my hope is in Christ. That is what the gospel provides. It provides us a hope that even when we're perplexed, we know that we still have this, this gospel. Even though he says that we are, are, are persecuted, but guess what? He knows he's not forsaken because the scripture tells us in Ephesians 2 that we who are believers are seated in heavenly places in Christ. So God cannot leave them. He's, he's seated in Christ in heavenly places. So even though it looks bad, even though he's been persecuted, he knows that he is not forsaken. I have a, a sister in Christ she, she goes through it sometimes, but this lady, she has the, one of the late stages of cancer in her stomach where she has to drink and sure, she can't even eat food. Um, she has heart disease. She has high blood pressure. Um, the doctor has on many occasions has told her she only has such and such time to live. And I remember she went to the mission with us and she just began to give her testimony and began to praise God. And this lady has some of the most joy that you will find in a believer, even though she is suffering all of these physical pains in her body. Yet she has this joy. Why? Because she has Jesus Christ as her treasure. She values the gospel. The gospel gives her a hope that even though her body has been killed, her, her inner person has been renewed day by day. She knows that her flesh will die, but she will one day be with Jesus. See, that is what the gospel does for us. It gives us a hope. It is a treasure. And that is what Paul can say these things. That's why he still has a hope in the midst of all of the trials that he is going through. He has a hope. He has a treasure. His treasure is in the gospel. His treasure is in Jesus Christ, the Lord. He's sovereign. So he knows that whatever situation he goes through, He's covered. You have a treasure. You have a treasure in the gospel. You have a treasure in Jesus. You must know this. It is this treasure that helps us to endure the trials of life because we're going to face trials. We're going to have hardships. But it is this treasure that gives us hope. Amen. Let us, let us pray.
Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for our hope. We thank you for this treasure that we have. We thank you for the opportunity to share this treasure, this light. God, it is you that change hearts. So we say thank you for changing our hearts. Thank you for changing our, our eyesight, giving us ears to hear and a heart to love. It is because of you, Jesus, that we stand here new with renewed minds and a renewed spirit. It's because of your work on our heart. It is your work. It is your redemption, Jesus, that we open our mouth and sing songs unto you. You've given us a new mind and a new spirit. God, may we grow forever in the knowledge of our understanding of who you are, God. May we continue to grow in the knowledge of your love. God, that we may love you more. That you may become more the center of our life. Jesus, touch my brothers and sisters here today, God. May your word stay impressed upon their hearts. That when they face the trials that are the darts of the enemy, the wicked one, that they look to you and your word, that they swing back the sword with all boldness and confidence. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.